I'm Krista Gerhard. And I'm Karen Foster. And this is Your Brain On by Salience Learning, a podcast by learning and development professionals for learning and development professionals. You're listening to part three of our series on virtual learning. Talk to me about how the number of learners impacts the way you design for a virtual setting. So we've had clients come uh, with a variety of needs, some who have 12 people attending a virtual session, others who have 75. Mm-hmm. What would you say is a good rule of thumb when trying to design for different size learner populations in a virtual setting? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the primary considerations is the, the technology platform first and foremost. So meaning what are the capacity constraints that that platform has? Um, so it's just as if thinking about a um, conference center, right? How many rooms are in the conference center? How big are the rooms? How many chairs can fit in them? In an analogous fashion, it's the same for a virtual platform, right? So how many breakout rooms can there be? How many learners can be in each breakout room? Um, If we have breakout rooms, um, you know, do we need a a support person for the virtual platform and an SME in each breakout room, right? So you start to first um, frame out kind of the, the... the scaffolding of this, the setup. What what are my constraints on the platform? It obviously also, um, in terms of quantity of learners, how familiar are those learners with the platform? So it goes back to the point around, you know, have they done many virtual classrooms? Are they conditioned and they understand the 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 functionalities and how to engage virtually. So the first questions that race through my mind really are around those types of initial constraints around, do I have a group of 12 versus a group of 75? Because you could have a group of 12 that have never used a virtual platform, but you could have a group of 75 that all have used it and are completely proficient. And, you know, you have background production support of those 75. So with plenty of SMEs and, and a, you know, gaggle of, of support people. So, so it really becomes a, 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 really turning the various dials of all these variables, right, of the learner population, the platform constraints, and thinking about that. And then, you know, using that information to really think critically around, you know, what's going to be my greatest path to success uh, and what's going to help me achieve the learning objectives, right? So, you know, taking all those factors into consideration, I think, are usually my first thought processes, if if that's fair. Yeah, now maybe we could transition a little bit to the techniques that we use to keep uh, the learners engaged. Obviously, in this time where we're working from home, we have children screaming in the background. Or laughing, Krista. They could be laughing. Or laughing. Definitely not homeschooling themselves. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of distractions that come with um, learning uh, remotely or in a distance learning environment. So maybe we could speak to some of the techniques we use in our design in addition mm-hmm. to that upfront set of expectations that we create in a self safe learning environment you know what we expect of the learners what we expect their engagement to be you know how we will be unfortunately in a virtual setting everybody's pretty much a, a 
target or potential for being voluntold to say something, right? You have a a, a key there in, in being able to engage these folks in, in a jovial way, obviously, but in a way that still keeps them uh, in tune. Maybe there's some things that you could speak to with regards to the different active learning techniques that you've used, um, because I think that's sometimes a hard transition for folks. They understand active learning and a live experience, but when it comes to a virtual setting, they may not get it as much, right? You get and understand how a gallery would walk, walk would occur in a live setting, but how does a gallery walk transition to a virtual setting? So maybe you could speak to some examples of, of what active learning techniques you use uh, to to keep the, the learner engaged in this virtual setting? Yeah, sure. No, it's a great question. Um, and I guess I'll start with the simple and then go to the complex from the standpoint of, you know, simple ways to engage people is really asking relevant quality questions in the form of a chat prompt or a poll question. Um, that's kind of a simple way to engage all the way up to, to your point about, um, you know, gallery walks using breakout rooms and whiteboard templates, right? So there's a range. And I would just encourage our listeners to really, if you can only, you know, start with the baby steps and the simple things, and they'll have a big impact. So to your point, if we think about, if you're engaging the learner, um, I am a firm believer in if the design is is relevant to the learner and it solves their problems, they're going to want to engage. So I would continue to encourage people to, um, rather than using um, carrots and sticks of, you know, kudo points or what have you not, adult learners want to have, you know, knowledge and skills that helps them become better at their jobs, that helps them be valuable to an organization and work well with their teams. Um, and so he, you know, I really would encourage, you know, questions that are really relevant um, and that drive critical thinking skills to those learners. So treat your learners like adults, ask them questions um, that are specific and yet um, uh, also deep enough that require some sort of processing. So, you know, per se, you're talking about a new clinical trial that's come out. Um, and you go over the study design. Maybe you ask specifically on a chat prompt, you know, which which piece of data from the study design or what element would be the um, uh, most impactful or most informative to your, your customers? Uh, and put that out to a group of learners that all have similar customers or all have different customers and think about how those responses back might differ. So even a simple question that prompts people to compare and contrast how customers would respond across a variety of customer types or physician types, you know, that's one way to really provide a richer dialogue than just asking a question of, well, what do you think? Um, so definitely keeping questions open-ended, keeping them relevant and tied to the content and keeping them in a way that gets the learner to bring their, their prior experience. I would say that's a very simple technique. Is that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. If we think about our stakeholders right now, we think, okay, we were given a live meeting and in that live meeting, they had a day and a half. And in that day and a half, they had a variety of different intentions for each session, some of which had time where they were self-reflecting individually before sharing back as a group, 
Some sessions may have had, you know, a, a round robin experience where they're exposed to a variety of subject matter experts or they're exposed to a variety of different data points or evidence that would drive a, a more robust and holistic understanding by the end of it. Then they have to take these, you know, robust live learning experiences and transition it to a virtual setting and helping them to understand what gets prioritized for that virtual versus what type of content might be prioritized for pre or post thinking or even, you know, pre or post office hours or so, or some other, something like that. I mean, how can we help our, our listeners really understand how to prioritize that information for that virtual experience? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, uh, unfortunately I wish that, uh, there was a simple answer to that, but this is the complex critical thinking across our roles. Um, in terms of prioritizing um, the knowledge or skills to focus on in a virtual versus a live, um, or when you're transitioning, excuse me, from a, a live to a virtual deployment, I think it comes back to really reflecting on the business's goal and prioritizing. At Salience, we really value and prioritize clearly understanding what the business needs to achieve and thinking about what are the steps that our learner needs to to know or do to achieve that that business's goal. So transitioning from a live to a virtual I think really requires a lot of clarity around those two items and then prioritization. Um, and then so in that prioritization, I think you begin to filter the the key things that should be um, you know, addressed in the virtual environment, and then the knowledge or skills that could be maybe, uh, to your point, pre-thinking, um, either in a pre-read or a post-thinking or a post-event um, discussion with a manager or a colleague or a peer, um, and in order to to really ensure that the the prioritized skills and knowledge are, are, are achieved. And uh, many of our listeners may not know the pre-thinking idea. Uh, we've at Salience believe that um, any you know, lead up uh, preparation for learning uh, should be pre-thinking and not pre-work. Uh, and it seems like a minor uh, change that many may scoff at, but words are very powerful. And so calling things pre-thinking already starts to seed your learners with the expectation that they will be, they're the focus and that they bring with them insight and their own perspective. And so that by using pre-thinking instead of pre-work really um, helps ensure that uh, you're setting the tone right from the start. So Krista, as, as head of client services at Salience, you have the pleasure of engaging with a variety of stakeholders across numerous functions in a pharmaceutical company. Um, for you and our, our Salience's virtual uh, projects, what have you seen you know, really works in terms of who you have to engage leading up to uh, a virtual deployment and then who you have to engage with uh, throughout the execution of that? So I think that's a great question. I think obviously in a live setting, you know, you may have a variety of stakeholders, which you're everyone I'm sure is very used to engaging with, whether it's an agency of record, a production company, 
your strategy and ops team, your L&D department, your brand professionals, your sales leadership, your medical leadership, a variety of folks who all play a role in putting together um, a live meeting. When we transition to a virtual meeting, there typically becomes a lot less stakeholders, uh, all who have a role in sort of managing the the coordination and the implementation of this type of setting. So traditionally where a production company may have come to help figure out what the appropriate breakout rooms and size of breakout rooms are, now your L&D stakeholder or you as the L&D vendor, you know, third-party person, you may be required to um, designing and organizing what the overall environment looks like and working with uh, a variety of stakeholders such as you know, your virtual platform stakeholder partner or your in-house production person. Um, you know, I think we just have to take a step back and remember that uh, when we transition from live to virtual, we're going to have to play, we as L&D professionals are going to have to play a variety of roles and take on different responsibilities. What we have to do as we spearhead this initiative is ensure that we have them all mapped out that we know who is doing what, that we haven't forgotten about, you know, assignment of attendees to breakout rooms. Uh, and we've thought about, you know, just as much about the transition time from a live meeting from breakout room to breakout room, but transition time from a virtual breakout room to breakout room. And what might, um, what challenges we may face when putting together a meeting from uh, a logistical standpoint for a virtual setting. Really, if we think about it, um, you know, we view our learning and develop, development stakeholders, our partners, as as really those individuals who are the key um, liaison to each of these different in, uh, stakeholder groups. So your L and D uh, person should be the one who is strategically partnering with the vendors on the 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 virtual platform side, the vendors on the design side the internal business partners um, across the organization to ensure that everybody knows uh, who is doing what and when, and, and that we're all prepared to deliver a great experience at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's a challenge, but it's an opportunity. Um, and it really brings the the ability for L&D to be a strategic partner across all of those stakeholders. And a lot of these these thoughts and ideas are 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 anchored in you know the science of learning and adult learning theory, and thus at Salience why we like to to drive to bring the science of learning to the business of science. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think this whole series, this whole um, experience today, is really reemphasized um, what we say day in and day out is that. Learning can't be a check the box exercise. It has to be one that gives back to the organization that really helps to elevate, you know, who our partners are when we're designing learning, but then also elevate the learner's experience, elevates them and motivates them to want to do more. And that the, you know, to your earlier point, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, folks aren't, aren't only motivated by going to a live meeting to, you know, just be out of the field or, or something like that. They're motivated by learning new things. They're motivated by challenging themselves. They're motivated by seeing the great work that their peers do. And this virtual experience can help with that.
Thank you all for listening to this episode of Your Brain On by Salience Learning. We'll be back with more very soon. In the meantime, please remember to subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Krista Gerhard. See you next time.